Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. How easily an organism can adapt to its local environment is a key question in ecology and evolution. But one reasonably overlooked aspect of this question has been the impact of starting population sizes. At least, it was overlooked. Until now. In today's episode, we're going to talk to the authors behind the recent Heredity paper, Larger Bacterial Populations Evolve Heavier Fitness Trade-Offs and Undergo Greater Ecological Specialization. This work has some really wide implications, and in this world of lockdown internet pressures, the quality of one of the lines was less than ideal. But I think you're still going to love what was said. Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. Can you please introduce yourselves? So I'm Sukhbir Day. I am in the biology department of Indian Institute of Science, Education and Research, Pune, India. I am Yashrat Chavan. I recently finished my PhD from the same institute, ISER Pune. In India. And this paper in Heredity has been adapted from one of my thesis chapters. Perfect. So you were focusing this paper on the impact of initial population sizes on an organism's ability to specialize in an environment. And I wonder if you could just tell us why you think that this is something that's important to look at. Okay. So we don't know what are the parameters, uh, population genetic parameters in particular, which uh, influence whether uh, a given population becomes a generalist or a specialist in terms of environmental specialization okay uh, so this concept of ecological specialization which explains why species prefer one environment over others is a very important one but we don't know how a simple parameter like population size influences it so we don't know whether larger populations are more likely to become generalists or specialists so it looks like an important question but we don't we did not know an answer to this and that is what i wanted to figure out uh, can i do this james yes please so Population size is a very important parameter and a very important thing that has been studied in evolutionary biology since the days of several right. Now, we know that in populations, evolution is dependent upon how much variation is there in the population. And that in turn, in particularly microbes, is dependent upon how what is the population size, how many individuals are there in the population. Therefore, not so surprisingly, population size ends up affecting a large number of ecological and evolutionary processes. However, there are certain processes, the connection of which to population size is not very well understood. One of those is ecological specialization. So what is ecological specialization? Specialization is when individuals who are very good in terms of facing one environment are not that good in terms of facing another environment. Now, lots of organisms, they are highly specialized, which means they will do fantastic in terms of their fitness in some, some environments. But if you put them in another environment, their fitness will go down. So there are other kinds of organisms, which are known as generalists, which basically will have some level of fitness, not too good, not too bad, but they will have it across a large number of environments. So this phenomena of ecological specialization is what we wanted to study. And what we wanted to look at is how population size ends up. Mm, no, for sure. I mean, it, it is an incredibly important aspect of evolutionary biology. Mm-hmm. And one thing I find quite interesting here is that you were mentioning that this is something that's kind of been studied in general for a very, very long time. Yes. But you've decided to take an experimental evolution approach with the bacterium E. coli. Now, there are some incredibly famous experiments like this, but for the benefit of those who aren't familiar with them, why did you take this approach over, say, using a natural system? Right. Yes, Raj, would you like to do that? Okay, sure. 
So bacterial populations, like populations of the Escherichia coli, are ideal systems to experimentally investigate such a problem because uh, we can raise very large and very small populations at the same time in controlled laboratory conditions. We can control a lot of aspects of the environments of these populations. And owing to their small doubling times, these bacteria can evolve very quickly in a very short period. For example, a few months, you can have several hundred generations. So you can see or follow the evolution of these bacteria in action and see for yourself how much they specialize across different environments. So you can track the fitness changes across environments in real time. You can also store these bacteria, so make fossil records, if you will, using cryopreservation and revisit these stocks uh, you can store them at minus 80 degrees Celsius and revisit them anytime. You can sequence these things. You can do a lot of things with them. So they're really great experimental systems to work with when, when it comes to such a problem. Can I say that in slightly different words? So our question was in terms of population size. Now, if you are looking at a natural population, then you don't have any control over what kind of population size they are experiencing. Therefore, in order to manipulate the population size, we had to do this experiment in the lab. Now, in the lab, we have a choice of very many number of organisms. However, we chose E. coli. The reason is that being a microbe, it you know doubles extremely fast, which means that within a relatively short span of time, you can have a large number of generations. And also the genetics and the you know the underlying physiological basis of many things are very well known in this organism and therefore it offers us several advantages this kind of a study over many other organisms. Mm, no, fantastic. And I guess you've touched upon it a bit already, but I wonder exactly what it was that you did to try and answer these questions about population size. Like what was the actual experimental setup you used? So, uh, we grew these bacterial cultures in 96 well plates and uh, we used uh, minimal nutrient media. So, each environment had a single source of carbon and uh, we made bacterial populations to grow at two different population sizes by manipulating the bottleneck intensity. The final volume of these cultures and hence the final population size was similar across the treatments and it was the bottleneck intensity and hence the initial population size that differed across the treatments. And we used two different carbon sources, uh, sole carbon sources in two different environments, namely thymidine and galactose as the environmental treatments. So there were two environmental treatments and two population size treatments, which gave rise to four different treatments in all. We followed their evolution uh, for about 480 generations, made them adapt to their selection conditions and also looked at the loss or change in fitness in the alternative environment. So the thing that you were testing, whether or not they were evolving to specialize on, these were the carbon sources? Yes, yes. We looked at their fitness or fitness changes, uh, compared them to the ancestral fitness values and uh, figured out if they enhanced their fitness in the selection conditions, did they lose fitness in the alternative conditions? Okay, so I guess the big question is, what did you actually find out to do with the initial population size's ability for E. coli to specialize? So as expected, we found that larger populations adapted more to their selection conditions. 
but surprisingly we also found that larger populations also maladapted more to the alternative conditions regardless of the identity of this alternative uh, condition so for example populations which were selected in galactose large populations are not only adapted more to galactose they also maladapted more to thymidine so they lost more fitness relatively more fitness in thymidine mm. and vice versa so larger populations also adapted more to thymidine than when they were selected in thymidine but then those populations also uh, lost more fitness relatively more fitness in the alternative condition which is galactose so we found a very consistent and clean pattern linking population size with the magnitude of fitness trade-offs. Mm. No, it's, it's fascinating. So I guess it's kind of interesting what you're talking about there. And I wonder what you think the sort of key insight that you found from this paper is. Like, what's the sort of key addition to uh, population genetics? So the key take-home message is that larger populations, owing to their greater efficiency of natural selection, can not only adapt very efficiently to their selection environment, they can specialize to this environment to such an extent that they can lose a lot of fitness in environments which they don't encounter, which means that larger population size owing to very efficient natural selection can make populations very, very specialized to their current conditions, making them vulnerable to, let's say, sudden changes in the environment or alternate conditions. So larger population size gives rise to specialists. Mm, fascinating. So essentially, in microbes, in bacteria, the amount of variation is directly proportional to the population size. Larger populations have larger variation. And therefore, you expect larger populations to do better in front of selection. Now, that is intuitive. What we found unintuitively is that these larger populations, in the process of becoming good, in the process of increasing their fitness in whatever they are being selected in, actually are also ending up becoming unfit, you know, losing fitness in other environments, which means what is good in the environment that you are experiencing is making you bad in the environments that you are not experiencing during selection. And interestingly, small population, while they are not becoming as good, while they are not increasing their fitness as much in the selection environment, in the alternate environment, they are not losing as much either. So it's not that, you know, large size is good all the time. Sometimes even small size actually makes them better evolutionarily when it comes to fitness in alternate environments. Hmm. It's a very interesting result. And I wonder, in your paper and elsewhere, you've kind of touched upon the fact that, um, I mean, this is obviously a laboratory-based experiment. Um, but when it comes to natural populations, there are climatic shifts. There are things like antimicrobial resistance developing. In a recent blog post, you even mentioned passenger pigeons. So I wonder how you think this work relates more broadly to population genetics in the wider world. Yeah. So, uh you correctly pointed out that our results are coming from a laboratory experiment under controlled conditions. Uh, however, the general idea or the general explanation is based in fundamental population genetics, which is that of antagonistic pleiotropy, which means that an advantage in a given environment can be a disadvantage in an alternative environment. Uh, what we found in our paper was across six different environmental pairs, and very consistently so, larger bacterial populations underwent more antagonistic pleiotropy and hence evolved bigger trade-offs. And this could be a very general phenomenon which could work in the wild. For example, uh, there was a recent paper about passenger pigeon populations 
so so there was a very large population of passenger pigeons throughout uh, north america and uh, it was such a large population that they were perhaps undergoing very efficient natural selection because the conditions for natural selection were very very good what happened was industrial revolution changed the environment in unexpected ways and this really humongous population underwent extinction almost instantaneously in the blink of an eye evolutionarily speaking and our results are in line with these natural observations uh, which kind of point out that even very large populations which are expected to harbor a lot of variation can be vulnerable to sudden sudden changes in the environment and we explain why that should be the case because they undergo very very heavy fitness trade offs mm. uh, can i have a different take on that yeah of course okay so first of all our study is on asexual populations microbes and these populations or these kind of organisms their evolution is expected to be you know mutation rate dependent so the supply of new mutations is where their variation is coming from now this is slightly different from sexual organisms in which the raw material of selection the variation also comes in form of recombination okay therefore there may or may not be a very direct translation of our work in terms of sexual organisms however as the recent covid system is pointing out that you know asexual systems are actually pretty important and they can really really do a lot to the world so as far as these kind of asexual systems are concerned what we are finding is that you know when they are evolving in larger numbers then they are undergoing trade offs which basically means that the phenomena of ecological specialization for these kinds of organisms is getting dependent on what numbers they are evolving in and that can actually have some you know bearing in terms of how various organisms are going to face the changing conditions you know as you correctly pointed out uh, coming due to climate change so those organisms which are highly specialized obviously will find it slightly less easier to adapt to changing conditions compared to those organisms which are not so highly specialized mm no fantastic and i guess i only have one last thing to ask you both um this is obviously some very heavily experimental work that you're involved in and i know that like a lot of the world right now you're both on lockdown because of covid so how are you both handling this situation with your work are you able to find some opportunities here ah uh, actually our institute is uh, locked down so all students uh, have been uh, advised to go home which is why yashraj is sitting in a different city and uh, i mean labs are shut down so no experiments are happening and uh, yeah so we are basically waiting for the situation to clear up and uh, everybody to return only then something will happen nothing till that point so basically this is an old piece of work <laughs> <laughs> But it is a very, very interesting piece of work, um, and we're very glad to have it in heredity. So I guess that's everything I actually had to ask both of you. So I guess just to finish up, can you remind us what your paper is called, and also mention your co-author who isn't joining us? So the paper is called "Larger Bacterial Populations Evolve Heavier Fitness Trade-Offs and Undergo Greater Ecological Specialization," and it's. also co-authored by Sarthak Malusare who is not with us in this podcast but had a very important role to play in the experiments excellent well thank you very much for joining me on the heredity podcast thanks a lot
You can find the paper discussed today on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash hdy. As with a lot of experimental evolution studies, it has a really interesting setup, so I'd definitely recommend giving it a look. And before we finish this episode, let's check in with Dr. Katarni over at Genetics Unzipped. Who are we? And where did we come from? These are big questions, and Sarah Tishkoff from the University of Pennsylvania has dedicated her career to researching the genetic story of humans in Africa, the birthplace of our species. In this episode of Genetics Unzipped, we're exploring the genetic diversity in the birthplace of humanity, discussing the implications for the lack of diversity in our current genetic databases for global health, and discovering how researchers can read the rich cultural and historical stories written in the genome, from the curiously exclusionary Ethiopian Ari people to the mighty Kuba Kingdom. Genetics Unzipped is brought to you by the Genetics Society. Listen and download now from geneticsunzipped.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's really interesting stuff. Please do go and give it a listen. But that's all from us today. You can subscribe to the Heredity Podcast on all good podcast platforms. And you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening. This is your onboard supervisor speaking. Welcome aboard this Southern service. As we start our journey today, I'd like to say a massive thank you to the millions of key workers helping to keep us moving. Teachers, firefighters, shopkeepers, the NHS, postal workers, delivery drivers, and of course, my fellow transport colleagues. We're proud to be key workers supporting key workers. Thank you. Southern, we're with you.